You're listening to Gray Area from WFMU and the Free Music Archive. My name's Jason Siegel, and in just a moment I'll be joined by Peter DeCola, law professor and author, uh, co-author of the forthcoming book, Creative License, Digital Sampling, Culture, and the Law. I'll be calling it to talk about this new Girl Talk album and the question of why hasn't Girl Talk been sued yet? Um, and hopefully, hopefully he won't be ever. We just heard from an artist, ACT Act, from an album, Revenge Toy, and we found it on a mix compiled by the French uh, free music portal, Dog Mazik. And before that, we heard from Kid Knievel featuring Brooklyn's uh, Sudanese rapper Odyssey, song Zoop, from the Just Like Music Records and Apple Juice Break compilation volume two it's called oscillations part two uh before that we heard from bum creek out of australia from the sound of young canberra it's a new weird australia compilation the song bollywood and at the top of that set karen cooper complex with jerk and pretty off of shinjuku birdwalk released by artifacts slash y clept some of that richmond virginia music from 1981 and let's hear a little bit of this girl talk, then we'll get back in, uh, and we'll be joined by Peter DeCola to talk about girl talk here on Gray Area. Get with Leoshi, cause she don't know me, but yo, she's really fine. You know, I see her all the time, everywhere I go. Even in my dreams, I got scheme of ways to make her mine. Cause I know she's living fat. Her boyfriend's tall and he plays ball, so how am I gonna compete with that? Cause when it comes to playing basketball, I'm always last to be picked, and in some cases, never picked at all. So I just lean up on the wall, or sit up in the bleachers with the rest of the girls who came to watch they man ball. Tag y'all, I never understood black while the jocks get the fly girls, and me, I get the hood rats. I tell them scat, skittles, kebabble, got hit with a bottle, been in the hospital for talking that mess. I confess it's a shame when you living in a city that's the size of a box and nobody knows your name. Glad I came to my senses, like quick, quick, got sick, sick to my stomach, overcoming by thoughts of me and her together, right? So when I asked out, she said I wasn't a type. I wish I was a little bit taller, I wish I was a baller, I wish I had a girl who looked good, I would call her. Wish I had a rabbit in a hat with a bat and a six-point collar. I wish I was a little bit taller, I wish I was a baller, I wish I had a girl with a good, I would call her. Oh, killer, no, I'm 
producer slam. My phone was like, bam, jump on stage, and then I did that. But I'm a trick. Right, we've got uh, girl talk there, and uh, hey, Peter, Peter, are you are you with me here? You got it. I'm here. All right, uh, Peter Decola is joining me to talk a little bit about girl talk. Uh, he's an assistant professor of law at uh, Northwestern Law, and his current work focuses on copyright laws, regime for digital sampling, and uh, also kind of a, not not something we're going to talk about today, but something that we're totally into is deregulation in the radio industry and. Uh, well, Peter, have you had a chance to listen to this new Girl Talk album? I did. I heard it last night. I heard it last night for the first time. I listened to it on um, on the site uh, alldaysamples.com uh, that shows you what the samples are as you listen, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I got my sort of, I got my sort of, uh, you know, comprehensive view of the album and what he's doing. You know, it's a, it's interesting. It's an interesting record. Well. Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of interesting things about it. Of, of course, uh, one of the most interesting is that he incorporates 372 samples, uh, and none of them are cleared with the with the you know rights holders beforehand. And then he's he's kind of making this argument that well, it's a fair use because he's he's making a transformative use out of this material. Um, and 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 there are a lot of people out there have been asking. I know it was the topic of like a south by southwest panel and a lot of articles lately asking uh why hasn't girl talk been sued yet (laughs) yeah that's a big question right um uh you could say it's like it's not the sixty four thousand dollar question it's like the hundred and fifty thousand dollar question since that's the level of statutory damages that you're subject to if you're found to violate copyright law right for for um, each, each song right yeah, for per song, for per cop, actually per copyright infringed, right? So it's actually you could actually double up on each song since each song contains uh, both a composition, you know, that underlies uh, the music and then uh, the sound recording itself. Um, so let me give you my answer to the question. So and we could talk about the the specific. I mean, it's very interesting, right? Uh, Girl Talk has this specific. Um, Sort of like disclaimer type language at the at the at the bottom of the page, right? I know you want to get to that. Yeah, where, where he claims that it's a you know it's a Creative Commons attribution non commercial uh, licensed album, meaning no, not- that's right. And and that's you know what he's licensing there is to the extent that he has that you know he's in a, in a sense you could think of him in copyright terms as kind of a compiler. Mm-hmm. You know, he's more than a compiler. You might call him like a derivative works creator as well in, in copyright speak. It just basically means that he has combined, arranged, selected, transformed the works. You know, selected is nice, right? That That's a good DJ word. Um, and it's also a legal copyright word. And basically it means that he's added some layer of creativity by combining these clips together. And so whatever that layer is, is licensed to the public on a Creative Commons license. You know what I mean? Because if mm-hmm. someone were to, you know, some third party were to come around and say, okay, I'm going to use Girl Talk for something, they're not only using the underlying samples, they're also using something that, that he's done. So yeah. that's what's licensed under the Creative Commons license. And so that's why that the site that I listen to the album on, um, All Day Samples, that's why they're able to create this kind of site where you're, as you're listening to the record and streaming it over the web, you can also... 
you know, look at these little, you know, text boxes that show you what sample is coming on at what time, because that website itself is kind of a derivative work of the Girl Talk album, you know, and so the Creative Commons license allows that site to do uh, what it did, and the, the site owner actually thanks, you know, gives a hat tip to Creative Commons and, and thanks Greg Gillis, um, you know, for allowing him to do that. Yeah, it's a very cool site. Yeah, and so to, to get back to the question of the fair, of fair use, so, right, so the next sentence, after he, he grants, you know, the public this Creative Commons license, um, in rec- you know, asking only for attribution and uh, just demanding that you don't do anything commercial with it, uh, then he says a couple things. He says, the CC license does not interfere with the rights you have under the fair use doctrine, which gives you permission to make certain uses of the work, even for commercial purposes. Also, the CC license does not grant rights to non-transformative use of the source material Girl Talk used to make the album. So those are two interesting points that they're making there. So first they're saying that, you know, they're making an interesting point about Creative Commons licenses, which maybe isn't totally apparent. Most people associate Creative Commons with this freeness and openness, and that is true. But in the course of granting a more open uh, set of permissions for what people can do, with copyrighted works, Creative Commons is also a little bit restrictive, right? It's relying on the fact that the owner gets a copyright under federal law and then is granting these certain rights under Creative Commons. And so Gillis is reminding people that even if something's under a Creative Commons license, that, that, shouldn't, um, that shouldn't mean that they can't make fair use of it. Now, fair use is a, is a doctrine for criticism or for uh, you know, transformative uses creatively or for things in computing like reverse engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, that allow the public to make uses of copyrighted works without paying for them. So he's just saying that that's an important public right, and that's the and then and it sort of gives you a hint that that's what he's claiming, right? He's relying on this this fair use doctrine to say that his his work is legal. And then, the, the, but he also has this that reminder that just because I'm making fair use of these clips and I'm transforming them, and that's his argument that he's making this transformative, creative, collage-like use. Just because I'm doing that doesn't mean that all of a sudden then you, in turn, as someone who's hearing my record or even using my record in something else, can take these songs and use them in a non-transformative way. Right. You know? And I think he's certainly right about that. So anyway, it's an interesting little disclaimer. The only controversial part of it is whether he, in fact, has transformed these samples enough in the eyes of the law to count as fair use. So and, and that's an open question. I don't know. And I think, so then finally, to answer your question. Sure. The, the, why hasn't he been sued? I think the copyright owners don't want to roll the dice on whether he'd win. Yeah, you because know? I mean, fair use offers offers a lot of protection. It's like if if you lose that case, then the copyright owners would have wasted all this time. They'd have to reimburse re, re, reimburse uh, court court fees and all that, right? Uh, potentially, they probably. I don't know whether they'd be likely to. You know, he'd be likely to win his attorney's fees. But the beautiful part for Girl Talk is that. You know, there's a legion of copyright law professors all over the country, um, you know, who'd be happy to represent him for free, I'm sure, because it would be such a famous case. <laughs> so yeah. I don't think he's worried about legal costs, personally. And yeah, you're exactly right, the, but the, 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 the loss would be incredibly costly to the labels in terms of what they spent on their lawyers. And then they'd all, but then they'd be running this risk that they'd be setting a precedent that they didn't like, uh, you know, that fair use was even more expansive than had been had been thought previously you know and, and that that's possible i mean there aren't very many judicial opinions on whether sampling is fair use but um you know one of the most prominent ones is a supreme court case that said that two live crew 
making a kind of crude parody of Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman was in fact fair use, you know, precisely because it was a parody, you know. Now what Girl Talk is doing isn't parody, but, you know, I think if you, I think it would be an interesting sort of uh, lawsuit because, you know, Girl Talk would be able to bring in, I think, musicological experts who would argue that he is transforming these songs by juxtaposing them in these interesting ways, by arguing that the entire album, not just each track, but each album, the whole album has a kind of flow to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, that's a, that's a really appropriate topic to be discussing on WFMU about, you know, thinking about the flow in kind of a really broader way, not just one song to another song, but, yeah, you know, when I mean, you think about the freeform format, you know, that's an interesting connection. But anyway... Th- th- there's no question to me that, that he's, you know, he's an artist doing something uh, that that uh, has, has incredible value and uh, the, the, the thing that kind of kind of I, I worry about is uh, you know when I think of, of these like like free culture, I think of uh, mm-hmm. you know kind of expanding our, our worldview and the potential to, to discover new music that we've never heard before and, and this this album being, being held up as, as the uh, kind of topic of debate for people who are, who are talking about sampling. When there are so many people doing amazing things, recontextualizing material, and this is 302 sample, 372 samples of like Beyonce and the Rolling Stones. Yeah, he starts with war. It's like it's like a pop. I was really amused by that. It's like a it's like a pop culture kaleidoscope. Oh, absolutely, and I even think this new record, the sample. You know, I think even more than the last two records. I think he's relying even more. I think the percentage of those 372 samples that are really really famous artists I think might even be higher I might be wrong that, that perception might also come from the fact that he seems to be using longer and longer clips you know mm-hmm. the Warp Pig sample goes on for you know and it's not just one part of Warp Pig he's using about three of the different you know guitar riffs and you know some of the vocals and I mean it's really a large chunk of that song and, and that's true for for a number of the songs he takes like the Beyonce sample uh, for instance um, so yeah I think I think that's right, that no one should be, I mean, you know, and what, although that's why, you know, legally that's why he's in, you know, he's really pushing the boundaries, right, because he's using large chunks, the songs are very recognizable, and so, you know, the plaintiff's lawyer, right, the copyright owner's lawyer is going to definitely argue that these songs are totally recognizable and they haven't been transformed, they haven't been yeah. cut up I mean, in a way for me, that really turns it into a collage, the way, say, a Public Enemy record or an early uh, Beastie Boys record would have done. Yeah, for me, listening part of part of the entertainment is like, wow, that's Radiohead and Old Dirty Bastard, like, like that's cool. But but what's cool about it is that it's uh that it's Radiohead and, and Old Dirty Bastard are like, oh, it's that that Toadies song I haven't thought of in a long time. And yeah, a lot- yeah, that one was a nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm the right age for that to be a real, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the, the trip trip down memory lane. Yeah, exactly. And and I think I saw Toadies was, I, I guess they have a Twitter account or something. They were like pretty psyched to be included in this kind of list of 372 uh cool you know kind of popular music list of of sorts but uh i i do wonder you know what what's prince gonna think if he ever finds out about this if he ever yeah right and prince is fairly unpredictable in his reactions to you know music industry trends and and uh to the internet you know he's, he's changed his stance on you know his, his embrace of, of new technology oh yeah he said times. so uh, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting question. But no, you, to get back to your point about collage, of, of course, 
you know, there are incredibly creative things happening um, all over the place that haven't reached this level of prominence. You know, they don't have this kind of, you know, I mean, Grosshog, is just, you know, his success has been partly driven by this, this very controversy. And then it's, but I think even more so just the fact that he, he can, uh, you know, he can DJ a really uh, great party. You know, his live shows are just really popular and they're yeah. really crowded. And it's just, gener- you know, it's just a certain kind of music that has a commercial appeal, you know, in that, in that venue, in the concert uh, arena, you know. So um, I think, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what, I, I think it would be, interesting to see if there were ever a lawsuit and i sort of at this point don't particularly expect one but if there were uh if someone want if some copyright owner wanted to roll the dice or were somehow offended um i you know i uh, it shouldn't that's right exactly right that it shouldn't be a message that other kinds of collage wouldn't be transformative right you know girl talk is using a very specific high profile kind of thing um in most of his uh, in uh, with most of his samples and you know there are other there are other uses that that could well be much more you know much more uh, much more easily viewed as transformative by a court you know mm-hmm. something that, that like I said something like Public Enemy where things are really cut up and mixed together and unrecognizable and turned into this you know kind of wall of sound kind of collage um, I, I, I don't I think that has a much better chance uh, yeah. of being fair use um, so, than so, something uh, like a mashup well. well Peter DeCola here uh, is my guest this morning, and and is uh, y- you're 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 kind of an expert on what you call the ad hoc sample clearance process that developed over the past 20, 20 years or so after um, you know albums like you know Paul's Boutique uh, were released without clearing samples, and and there there was this incredible statistic that that uh, you and and the co-author of of uh, Creative License the this this forthcoming book uh shared about paul's boutique that if that if that album had actually gone and cleared all of all of the samples like what what was it they wouldn't have have uh or they would have lost five dollars on every album sold to date yeah you'd lose about five bucks a record (laughs) Um, on on revenue for the artist of about you know uh almost you know a little less than two dollars you know so you basically have seven dollars in licensing fees per record if you if the if the fees were if the licenses were structured that way on kind of a royalty basis um you know just hypothetically that's what would happen and the point there is that okay if you've got a track like say girl talks or like the old bc boys uh record you um if you've got multiple samples on that track each sample is going to have two copyright owners the composer and the recording artist and each one of those, uh, and so you can treat those as kind of two separate revenue streams, but in each revenue stream, like the revenue stream for the, co- the composition of the, of the sampled work, everyone's going to ask for anywhere from a quarter to a half, even for the whole thing, right? Like if you were to sample Paul McCartney and ask permission, he's very likely to say, yeah, that's great. Um, we have a story in the book where, you know, De La Soul samples Paul McCartney in, you know, apparently he likes the song, was inclined to grant the license, but he wanted 100% of the new composition. You know, so when you're giving away 100% to one of the people you sampled, well, then if you're trying to sample anyone else, now you start losing money. You know, right. and so it's very typical to have people asking for a quarter, or asking for half. And so once you're sampling five people, or once you're sampling three other people, uh, you know, it's just it's just not a, a viable business proposition. And so that's you know that that really is the backstory to why Girl Talk is taking this aggressive 
fair use approach because it would be hopeless to try and license this new record. There's no way. 372 samples means 744 licenses he'd have to go obtain, you know, and the percentage he'd be giving out is just, you know, it's just astronomical. I mean, I, I don't I don't see how it's possible, especially because so many of the people he's sampling are very famous and would be asking for a very, very high percentage. Yeah, so. I think it, it might be helpful for people if we kind of compare the sample clearance process with the, which is kind of this ad hoc thing, uh, with uh, the, you know, there's a there's a set process for covering a, a composition, um, where you pay, a, kind of a, a flat, fee for every copy that you make, and uh, and and then. Yeah, exactly, right? So the cover version license, you know, so to use the composition to make a cover, there you only need one license because you're making your own recording. So you just need a license for the composition. You don't need anybody's approval. It's just... uh, That's right. You don't need approval. You just pay 9.1 cents a copy and comply with certain uh, administrative requirements in the copyright code. And um, you uh, you can use that essentially without permission and for pretty cheap. Um, And that's an outgrowth of the way, way back dispute between the composers around the turn of the 20th century and the um, piano roll manufacturers. You know, the, the, the composers didn't want to license this new technology that was going to be able to reproduce their songs and allow people to perform them in different ways. And uh, it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said that the composers had no right to stop them. And so the, co- the compromise that Congress came up with was to say, all right, you still have your right. You still have your, the right to get paid for your composition, but you're only going to get a certain number of pennies per track. And that rate has, you know, has increased a little bit over time. But uh, but right now the rate is 9.1 cents per copy sold. So yeah, so it's a it's a bitter irony of the copyright, uh, you know, the copyright law in the United States that uh, it's easier to cover an entire song <laughs> than it is to sample a second of a of a recording. You know, now granted, when you sample a recording, you are, you know, infringing two copyrights potentially, the composition and the recording. You know, if you take enough, if it's not fair use, then it's infringement of two copyrights. And so, but still, it's just amazing that you could take an entire composition um, and you have, you have no one to ask for permission and the cost to you is going to be really minimal and is going to allow you to be in business. And so, yeah, that's why, I mean... It, it's one way you can see how copyright law really shapes the industry because we all know of dozens and dozens of great covers, you know, interesting covers, creative covers, uh, really crummy, annoying covers, you know, the whole, the whole gamut, right? Everyone's been allowed to do what they will uh, with compositions. Um, but, you know, sampling has had to go underground. Yeah, underground. There's no way to get these licenses. It's, uh, it's, it's basically been criminalized, right? It's... it's uh, you, the co-author of, of your forthcoming book, Kembrew um, McLeod, right? Yeah. He, uh, he also co-directed this great documentary called Copyright Criminals that kind of describes, describes a lot of the history of, of how uh, basically artists who uh, are, are collaging other, other recordings as part of their art uh, have been forced to do it kind of as, as a, a you know, possibly illegal art like the name of, of girl talks label and uh and and in, in a lot of cases you know not giving credit to the artists that they've sampled um and just kind of flying under the radar and, and i think it's a big hurdle especially for you know certain styles of music that are sample based music like like hip-hop uh you know if you're an artist starting out and you 
you can't you can't uh, do it the same way that people were able to make this music you know 20 years ago even though we have so many more tools at our disposal right no I agree I agree it's interesting I mean it's funny because some people who aren't you know when I talk about this work to people who aren't music people you know a lot of them ask well why do you need to sample anyway why don't you just do it yourself mm-hmm. you know um, and you know some people have done that you know musicians have responded to the laws and found other ways to be creative that's definitely true but you know I think collage has you know been an art form for a really long time there's something special about being able to take existing materials and, and respond to those in that way and you know in some ways there isn't always a substitute for getting the sample and for using it you know and I, I just think that that's an important um, tool in a musician's toolkit and it ha- you know it has been for as long as there's been uh, recorded music and even before there was recorded music people have been interested in taking chunks of compositions and using them and reusing them oh, yeah, and when you think of it in terms of that long tradition I think basically what copyright law and sampling is doing is saying you know music isn't allowed to develop in this direction it's been allowed to de- we're going to allow it to develop in all these other directions that also involve musical borrowing you know if anyone wants to be a knockoff band and sound just like the Beatles they can do that you know you can be a sound alike you can rip off someone's style but you know, God forbid you sample half a second, you know, because then, uh, then as you say, you're exposing yourself to a lot of, uh, you know, civil liability, you know, a, a potentially large damages under the copyright code. And in one of the cases, one of the early sampling cases, the judge even threatened criminal prosecution. You know, now I haven't seen a lot of that. I don't want to be overdramatic, wow. but <laughs> that's where the name of the of uh, Kemper's film comes from, copyright criminal. Right. And it, yeah, it's, it's a really unfortunate. Uh, reaction on the part of the copyright code. I, it's one that I don't think is particularly well thought out uh, by Congress. I don't think that Congress has paid a lot of attention to this issue, and maybe that's in times like these, I suppose that's correct for Congress not to be paying attention, but maybe, you know, when the Copyright Act, um, you know, when these cases started to come down and when the Copyright Act was being interpreted and potentially misinterpreted to say that, that uh, any sample, no matter how short, um, is copyright infringement. You know, I, I, I wish that more thought had, had, uh, had been put into those uh, legislative decisions. And I think, you know, that's what, what we're, uh, Kemper and I are trying to do with the book so, in, so in one sense, is to talk about, okay, what are the, what are the po- at the end of the book we talk about what, what are the policy solutions, you know, uh, what are the different reforms that are, that are more promising. You know, and one of them would just be to establish that certain really tiny samples just aren't infringement. You know, there are some things that are just too short, for the law to get involved in, you know, but I think other, you know, other things that we could do include, um, you know, making it easier for people to get licenses, making it easier to know who it is that you'd have to ask for permission, you know, in the first place. And then I think for these multiple sample, multiple, you know, these collage things like Girl Talk, uh, we're going to need a more radical solution to make these possible because the situation is so, uh, is so dire, you know, in terms of trying to make these, um, above ground kind of you know fully licensed uh, releases and I, you know that there's a that's a that's a longer conversation about how we can ever how we can ever achieve a, a world where that uh, could be released commercially and could be distributed on you know uh, music retail sites without um, without fear of uh, copyright infringement on all sides yeah well I'm I, I did read the in the preview of of, uh, of this forthcoming book I guess it's coming out in February. I think March. March. We'll see. Yeah, February, March, somewhere around there. It's, it's coming out in the spring 2011 from uh, Duke University Press. So, so you, you kind of outline a few possible ways to reform the sample 
clearance process. Um, do, do you? But but you you haven't decided on like what your favorite is. It's kind of. Well, oh, like I think we should do multiple things. You multiple know, what I mean, like things, I said, right. I definitely think we should make it so that really tiny samples. Uh, you know, things that the, the law would call de minimis uh, samples, things that are just too small for the law to take notice of. I, I think that we should definitely do that. Yeah. Um, well, they they did that in in Germany, right, with this two second craftwork sample that was uh, warped into something totally unrecognizable. First, I think the court said. You know that's that's a uh, they they don't have this concept of fair use in Germany, right. but um, at first they said that was illegal, and then it got passed along to another court that actually said actually that's that's okay because it's uh, transformed beyond recognition into this new composition. Yeah, right. I mean that's an interesting. Yeah, the Kraftwerk case is interesting. Kraftwerk is, is you know we talk a little bit about Kraftwerk in some other settings. I mean they've been they've been fairly litigious and fairly protective of their work. It's a shame right, because yeah, it's so, no, so it, sample-friendly. <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing in, you know, the, the decision in the United States is this case called Bridgeport versus Dimension Films that decided that no matter how small the sample is, it's copyright infringement. And I have, I, I only know of one copyright professor in the entire country who thinks that the decision uh, was correct on legal grounds. Forget about the policy, forget about whether you like sampling or don't like sampling. Just in terms of interpreting copyright law in the United States, I just don't think it was correct. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we give you know we give Kembrew and I in the book we allow the one the one professor I know of who thinks it's a good decision to you know we quote her and allow her to make her argument uh, in, you know in sort of a virtual way. But you know it it just isn't you know I just don't I think the argument has a lot of weakness. I don't think Congress intended um, for sound recordings to have this extreme level of protection where even a millisecond would be. Um, copyright infringement. I just don't think that fits with the rest of, uh, you know, copyright law is full of exceptions and little, you know, little quirks and little doctrines that allow uh, the, the public and, and downstream creators to use uh, small pieces of things and to transform them. It just isn't, it, it just isn't a, a good decision. So that's one thing, right? You've got to reverse the result of, of cases like that whether you do it through the courts or whether you do it legislatively. Um, you know, and that, that's a long-term goal, though. I mean, that could take a long time to get another court case or to get another uh, action by Congress. Then I think, like I said, I think the other category of reforms are just more uh, things about voluntary licensing, you know, things that make licensing easier. So, you know, one of the big problems is that sometimes when you sample something, you have no idea who owns it. You know, it could be a 70s soul record, and the... The publishing house may have changed hands, you know, five times since the record was released, and you may have no hope of figuring out who the uh, the actual owner is. Um, if there were some kind of uh, database that you know kept track of who owns what and who was insisting on receiving licensing revenue, then I think um, you know that would be um, you know that would be incredibly helpful. That would be a big step forward. You know, um, now there are some legal difficulties with requi- you know I don't know that you can. Not sure, based on our obligations to international treaties and things, uh, we have obligations not to encumber copyright owners with certain uh, formal requirements like registering for a database. But I think, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, in, in an ideal world, uh, the record labels and the copyright owners, the publishers, would get together and create this database sort of privately. Um, and I think the advantage to them would be that they'd be able to collect more revenue from sample licensing if they made themselves more visible, you know. So, spe- speaking uh, but then of again, they you know they obviously benefit from this current system in a way because everything happens behind closed doors, and they're you know they're able to 
to exact higher licensing fees by not, you know, by not being in public, you know. Uh, but anyway, I think that that kind of system where people have more of an idea of who owns what would be a first step towards making it easier to get these deals done to make sure that these records could get licensed and so that the original creators could be compensated, you know, somewhat, but also that the new, uh, the new works, the new sample-based works uh, would be able to be released. Do you think that there's, you know, for the artists who were sampled, you, you were just saying uh, the current system does kind of in some ways benefit copyright holders because they're able to command these, uh, well, well, for a few different reasons, but do you think that there are, are benefits for an artist who is sampled by Girl Talk and not compensated directly? Do you think that there's maybe uh, promotional value in, in that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I, you know, I don't know that that means that they shouldn't, receive some kind of small licensing fee, you mm-hmm. know, but I, I do think that there is promotional value, and that may be, right, as you said, with, with the toadies or someone, that may be one reason why they're not even thinking of suing, right, because they're perfectly delighted, you know, to, to, be, um, to be sampled. But I think one of the important things that we learned uh, from our research for the book was that, the, you know, almost more than money, or at least as much as money, or... Um, in similar ways to how much they care about getting compensated, I think the artists care about control. You know, the, the copyright owners care about being asked for permission. They care about getting attribution, you know, uh, getting their name out there saying, hey, here's, here's um, you know, this is what I used. Here's this person who, you know, contributed to my, my sample-based work, to my collage, you know. And I, I think... Um, so part of it is money, but part of it is, is this issue of, of control and being able to have some say in how your work is used. Now, I'm not saying that's a totally unproblematic desire, right? Like, I don't know that copyright owners should necessarily be able to control how their work is used in the future. You know, that first of all, it might be kind of futile because, you know, the work is out there and people are going to use it and interpret it the way that they will. Um, I'm just saying that that's what copyright owners say to us. You know what I mean? They just say, listen, we want to be able to, we like the idea that we're able to deny permission if we don't like the politics or the aesthetics of how, of the work in which we've been sampled. Yeah. And there's a, there's a classic example of, uh, you know, like nun, nuns doing Gregorian chants or something being sampled by like a horror film or something like that. It's like... Yeah, it's offensive. I mean, in the book, uh, David Byrne tells a story about, you know, uh, on, the, on the My Life in the Bush of Ghosts record he made with Brian Eno, they have a sample of, you know, um, uh, an Islamic uh, prayer being sung. And, you know, they, the, um, the um, religious people who had been recorded uh, requested that the sample be removed, and, and Byrne and Eno uh, removed it. Hmm. You know, they, they respected the the wishes that, the, you know, this, this, that, that prayer was not meant to be heard as music. It was not meant to be used in that way. And, you know, Byrne said that he respected that desire, you know, for that sample to be removed. And, you know, that's, an, that's a really interesting story because people may feel a lot of different ways about it. Um, because, you know, maybe, maybe some people might feel that, that David Byrne shouldn't have, um, you know, acquiesced to that request. But in his view they were able to replace that sample and they, they got something that they thought was even a little bit better, you know, hmm. for the song. And so he felt that it was a bit serendipitous that they had to alter the track, you know. So, I mean, it, it, these stories can get kind of complicated, but the, I, one of the big themes of the book, I think, is this issue of, you know, of control and how much, you know, and you can definitely set up, like you said, with the nuns, you can set up these circumstances where 
the person being sampled has what seems like a more legitimate request, you know. Uh, it doesn't seem so legitimate when someone just says, oh, I don't like rap music, so right. I don't want to be sampled. That doesn't feel like a particularly great reason. You know, but when it comes in for religious reasons, that's a whole different valence to the issue. You know? Well, it's, it's an ongoing debate, and this Girl Talk album that was released uh, this, this past Monday, I think, is, is a crucial part of it. Even though it's not impacting the law itself, it's definitely influencing the way that people think about uh, sampling and kind of the norms of of what's okay in in our culture. So uh, yeah, it's, it's it's this has been a great conversation. We we could definitely keep going, and I will definitely uh, be looking out for your book, uh, Peter DeCola uh, and Kembrew McLeod. The uh, new book is going to be called Creative License: Digital Sampling Culture and the Law, and all sorts of interviews with you know Lawrence Lessig, people from Creative Commons, uh, Tommy Silverman here. From Tommy Boy, Public Enemy, Public Enemy. Enemy. Yeah, we talked to a lot of great people. Um, Hank Shockley, who's always great. Yeah, he's he's tremendous. I think he's kind of the star of the book, but that's just my opinion. Oh, awesome. Well, uh, Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, and, thanks, uh, Jason. It was great. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk about this stuff. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll be in touch soon, and uh, we should probably get into some music. Here's some more of this uh, awesome compilation compiled by Doug Mazik, the uh, French. Free music portal, some hip hop from Sushi Sushamp. Y'a rien qui évolue Ici les temps sont durs Les faire sont durs Et même sous les ordures à toute allure La rue est vers l'ordure Y'a pas de demi-mesure On facture notre futur Et si t'es pas assez futé On aura à l'usure Face à ces pratiques pourries La patrie prie cachée derrière des façades électriques Souris aux nantis 
c'est juste un parti pris La peur les pétrifie, on en paye tous le prix Même en free, ça je te le certifie Prose tes haltères, faut qu'on cause terre à terre Repose tes artères et ton fond du caractère Pendant que les poignets m'assèrent Ouais, je m'assère avec des rimes sincères Pour mes soucis, pour ces sous-serres Pour ceux qui sont six pieds sous terre, je peux pas me taire Et pour les mots massifs par terre, qu'est-ce qu'on peut y faire Sous somnifère, en somme nous six pierres en terre Nous sommes des coups qui consommons et consumons nos frères On manque de cachets, reprends tes cachets Sachez que de l'autre côté du globe, on dort sous des tôles pâchées Ici, on n'est pas fichu de franchir le fossé Et on finira tous au CHU et CHI Casse dédi au tiers monde qui en chie Pendant que l'Occident nie, rêve de rouler en Lamborghini Même s'il fallait s'y faire, la vie m'a mis les nerfs sévères Et je pense à ceux à qui elle a mis la gueule de travers De travers, 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 Chacun sans pile bulle poilu, y'a rien qui évolue Et puis y'a les teufers, qui écoutent le son trop fort Continuer leur faveur et vivent comme dans un coffre fort Dans leurs affaires, préfèrent l'enfer du corps à corps Dis-moi si j'ai tort, mais c'est vite de mes frères qui sort Pour la communication comme unique réaction Tradition d'addiction et d'audition sur micro Nous crions, 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 crions Prends du recul, un coup de boule et puis bascule Là où les gélules pullent et les pilules en bulle et en bulle sur les rotules Prends du recul, un coup de boule et puis bascule Là où les gélules pullent et les Bye. 
this is awesome. I just uh, smashed my external hard drive. And now it's doing this crazy loop. Uh, I hope my... It's not my external hard drive, my, uh, my jump drive, USB drive. And I sure hope it's not broken. Black hole 
Thanks so much for listening to Gray Area. This has been, uh... All right, music from Haivanlar Alemi out of Ankara, Turkey. That's a track, Burana Superpower, originally released on Demolar 2007-2008, now available in a slightly different recording from the new Sublime Frequencies LP. It's actually the title track, so it's great those guys connected with the Sublime Frequencies label doing really good, good, well-curated releases. And it's a good slab of vinyl if you can track down Gorana Superpower. And lots more Haivanlar Alemi is available from the Free Music Archive. Before that, we heard another one of those tracks from the Dogmazique uh, French Music Portal mix that they contributed to the Free Music Archive. This is from Sharita Manouche, the track Beyond the Universe from their 2009 demo. Brooklyn's own Amazing Vids before that with Could You Die off Drastic Mirth. Sediment Club, a live track recorded for my WFMU radio program actually called Panic Berlin Fun. We heard music from Amanda uh, recorded when she was, what, eight years old? out in Alabama with, with her older brother, some local kids joining in on, on the fun, banging on pots and pans, the song Up Against the Wall, Redneck Mama, from the Power Child Free Music Archive sampler. And uh, there's a great article linked in the playlist to this show by Irwin. Um, Amanda's sort of been a staple of Irwin's radio program for anybody who listens to Irwin Chusid on WFMU. Now we finally are able to offer some MP3s for your enjoyment on the blog and the Free Music Archive. And uh, we heard from Sushi Shoe Shop. Another track from this great Dogmazik uh, French music portal mix from our friends at dogmazik.net. Sushi Sue Shop with Funamble, the hip hop version. And, uh,. Big thank you to Peter DeCola for calling in to talk about Girl Talk earlier on in the program. I will be taking the next week off for Thanksgiving. And those of you celebrating Thanksgiving, I hope you have a good one, eat a lot of good food, and stay safe. And I'll see you back with another episode in a couple of weeks. It's a good chance to catch up on the archived podcasts over at wfmu.org slash playlists slash GA. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.